Well, I'm glad that you asked that, Seth. Hey, hey <laughs> like, here we are with all of a sudden, Reverend Dr. Different. Sean McCain. Greetings and many blessings. <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong with us? Lots of things are wrong with us. You're listening to the Field Notes Podcast, where we descend from abstract ideas and disembodied theologies into the embodied, context-specific particulars of ministry on the ground. We hear from local leaders about struggle, breakthrough, doubt, hope, and everything in between. I'm your host, Seth Richardson. Um, It's coming from that place of, this is what it looks like to be in community alive and sharing in the goodness of God. On this episode, we hear from Sean McCain, pastor at Resurrection Anglican Church in South Austin. One of the things you'll hear Sean wrestling through in our interview is how his mestizo identity informs and shapes his leadership and how he inhabits the Anglican tradition. This kind of self-awareness is precisely the kind of thing we illuminate and cultivate at the Telos Lab for Congregational Discovery. We'll return to why that's important later. Here's Sean. I'm the lead pastor, or in my tradition as they call the rector of a six-year-old church plant in South Austin in the Anglican tradition. And uh, this is this is our second church plant, uh, at least in my own ministry. And um, and it's, it's, it's a very unique kind of church plant. We're in um, the part of Austin that really, I think, if we're going to debate about this, keeps it weird, as they say, because we are an amalgamation of all of Austin, the west side, the east side, the, the north side, even central Austin has its own kind of demographic story and the South side has its own unique story, but it's also, it imports all of those things. That's where they all kind of intersect. So our church is uh, in the heart of South Austin and it keeps it weird by pulling together all of those stories in a really unique way. And you even hear that in the way that our people talk about our community. They'll talk about it in ways that sound just like that. So we meet in a, a school building. Uh, it actually used to be a Lutheran church building and it was sold to a charter school. And so we are, we rent the sanctuary building from the school, which is actually a really wonderful gift. Our parish is made up of, um, I would say, a majority white folks. Ages is a little bit harder to pin down because we're just all over the place, but mostly um, young families, young professionals, Um, but increasingly so, and I'm really grateful for it, um, uh, folks in their forties, fifties retired. And, um, as it, as it is with small babies, our small, small families and new families, tons of babies. So we have like kind of a baby explosion and it's wonderful. Um, in terms of ethnicity and race and, um, like economic diversity, um, we're, we're actually, if you were to walk into our church building, you would observe mostly white folks. But if you actually spent time talking with most of these people, they, they're actually, uh, many of them, I would say are multi-ethnic like myself. I kind of pass as white, but actually my story is a lot more complicated than that. My mother's Mexican and has a huge, um, Mexican Catholic family. And my dad is white and was raised Methodist. And so, um, there's stories just like that of people who, um, you kind of have to dig a little bit more and hear their stories to hear some of the complexity and that diversity. Economically, um, we're again, South Austin is that 
is that intersection of a lot of different economic situations. And so we're just kind of all over the place, a lot of diversity there. Um, we don't have uh, as many poor, um, like below the poverty line um, is, is one way of talking about it, but the truly poor who don't have homes or transportation, we have um, some of some folks in our community, I think would fall in that kind of classification. Um, and, and, uh, and we always, we always love that. We always welcome that. Uh, but, but South Austin is as kind of a, a pseudo suburb, I guess, of central Austin, you end up um, with the, the kind of city planning um, eliminates more of that possibility. I, there's a whole conversation there, but it's, it feels a little bit uphill to be able to make space for some of the, um, the truly poor. And um, politically, I'd say we're also extremely diverse. And part of our story is actually like people walk into our church and go, how did you get all these people to be in one space? And, uh, you know, I'm not really sure, um, but there, there is lots of space for, for all kinds of different political views. Um, and we have really lively conversations about them in really loving contexts. And I think so it's, it's actually become a gift. Um, but we'll pick on Republicans, we'll pick on Democrats, we'll pick on everyone else. And, um, and resituate all of those identities and positions and kind of cultural markers um, under the grid of the kingdom. And I think that's actually kind of what makes that space possible in the first place. Uh, Texas in general is, is certainly part of the Bible belt. Um, it, and it feels like planting anything other than a Baptist church or a non-denominational church is a little bit weird, is a little kind of uncommon, less common, I should say. And even more so in Austin, um, which is tends to be um, has actually a very rich Catholic um, presence in history, um, but also a very rich Baptist presence in history. So being Anglicans, we actually kind of uh, we talk about ourselves in terms of, you know, if you took a Baptist and a Catholic and they had a baby, you'd be Anglican. That's us. And um, but we're, we're definitely um, the minority in terms of religious expression socially in, in the Austin area. Um, but they're, they're, we're also kind of uniquely positioned too, I think, because Austin being such a progressive, left-leaning, um, liberal kind of, uh, you know, it's the state capital. There's lots of legislation and political attention there. There's the university. UT is here. Um, so there's a lot of that kind of traffic and, and um, demography there. But um, that intersecting with what surrounds Austin, which is the rest of Texas, which tends to be a lot more conservative, you end up with a really interesting mixture of religious traditions. But for the most part, like Res has been a place that we get people who are like, look, I grew up Orthodox or I grew up Roman Catholic and mostly, hey, I, I came from this non-denom church or I, you know, I came from this Baptist tradition and um, so many of them have the experience coming into our church going, this is really, there's enough here that's familiar, but man, this is actually so different. And I have to like process some of that difference. Um, so yeah, there, there is, people would actually be surprised to know that um, in Austin, there is as big of a Catholic presence. presence. Most people would think, oh, it's mostly Baptist and non-denom. There's a lot of that. There's a massive Catholic presence in Austin as well. And so being situated somewhere between the two, um, is actually uh, unique, but it's actually not too weird, I would say. So far, Sean has been naming the geographical, social, political, and religious forces that form the context for leading an Anglican church in a place like South Austin. It's so important to see that theology and ministry 
never happens in abstract. It's always shaped by and for an embodied context. Naming and reflecting on context does not need to mean that our theological vision is relative or that it collapses totally into the imminent frame, as Charles Taylor might say. Rather, we're trying to take seriously how the gospel revealed in the particular body and life of Jesus necessarily takes on flesh and dwells among us by the Spirit. In fact, our surrounding context is not the only context worth reflecting on. There's also the context of the self. That means, in part, understanding how and why your identity, your assumptions, your deeply held convictions have been shaped. And then how that affects the way that you lead, how it affects what you see and imagine as a leader and want and hope for a church. Listen to Sean's self-reflection. What does it provoke for you? My own ethnic identity as the son of a Mexican woman and a, an Irish kind of English European white man um, both of them, even when you say that, it's just not, doesn't do it justice. They both were born and raised in El Paso, Texas. And so most of my family heritage comes from there. And El Paso is this truly international city being on the border um, and receiving, um, it's a major port of entry into the country from Mexico. And, um, and having a family that really, whose identity straddles that border um, in a beautiful way uh, is, is really the way in which I understand my own story and religious heritage and my own imagination for how I then pastor this church. My grandmother was actually a, um, a, a, a nun at the incarnate word, the convent of the incarnate word just down the road in San Antonio. Um, and my dad is a Methodist pastor still. So <laughs> I'm like kind of, you know, triangulating my own lineage and story with these heroes of the faith for me. Um, and so that's what, what comes out. And I didn't really, I wasn't actually aware of this until I started thinking very intentionally about it and reading similar, some similar stories like this. But as an Anglican, we have the liturgy and some people think, oh, that's, you're just kind of going through this order of service. It can count sound kind of dead or rote or just bland. And uh, I never understood why that needed to be the case. And so when you walk into our church, really not intentionally, but just kind of naturally coming out of my own ethnic identity and family story and culture, the liturgy is really expressed as fiesta. I mean, we, I joke about this, but it really is this kind of, if you can picture um, a kind of a revolving door, people coming in, which is really the case of our family's life, you know, really pre-pandemic, our door was always kind of flinging open. We could say, hey, we always can make more food. We can always make more space. And everybody's in the kitchen, even though it's the most, um, kind of illogical place to gather that many people. We're making food. You can smell it. It's loud. It, we're bumping into each other, giving huge hugs. It's lively and, and just energetic. And there's kids everywhere. Um, this sounds stressful to some people, I realize. But for me, this was just kind of like, hey, this is getting people together. This is what it's about. So actually in leading the liturgy and in kind of cultivating the liturgical life of our church, our worship life together, even preaching, um, it's coming from that place of this is what it looks like to be in community alive and sharing in the goodness of God. Um, so we, so res has this kind of 
you know, whether it likes it or not, my story is kind of coming out and even just the way we lead the liturgy from, from that kind of a interesting ethnic family culture background story. What story or history or perspective do you bring into your context? How do you think it shapes the way that you lead? Remember, just because Sean names and reflects on his mestizo identity does not mean that he's adding something extra or is a variation from something more neutral. We all bring with us complex histories and stories, whether we realize it or not. When we reflect on who we are and what we bring, we're not indicating that some context or stories or histories are inherently better or worse than others. This reflection on the context of the self is simply about reckoning with the reality of our embodied identity. Owning what we need to own, naming what we need to name, and then submitting it all to Jesus and to his kingdom for transformation. One of the big challenges I'm facing as a leader, especially as a church planter, in the time, a stage of life that we're in as a church is going from uh, a real church planter centric movement of community and growth and ministry to a more decentralized, empowered, distributed leadership model. And um, like, I know all that in my head and I can say it, but then the reality of living that in community is oftentimes I feel like why is everything going through me? It's killing me. It's like, um, it's fatiguing me. I think I get frustrated sometimes. Like, do you, do you, why, you know, like my wife, um, our kids will say mom about 8,000 times a day. And she has this like reaction. Why you have a dad right here. Just ask him, you know, he just, he can help. I sometimes feel somewhat similar of why, why am I having to pick out linens for you know, the altar or, or like give advice about um, every aspect of the church's life um, and give leadership to it. And, um, and I don't, I don't do that in a way that gets like, uh, that, that thinks something's wrong with everyone else. I, what, what experiencing that for me, the frustration of that is realizing I'm somehow the way that I'm trying to empower and distribute, distribute leadership in this community it's not translating. It's not working. People for some reason are getting stuck and needing to circle back through me. And so uh, figuring out ways of intentionally um, empowering and giving people the sense that Sean trusts me, this church and its leadership trusts me. And I feel their support and I'm resourced. Like I know what I'm doing. I have an idea of what they're looking for, what, what I feel called to do in this mix. Um, that, that kind of discernment on their end requires something of us to kind of set them up, I think to do that and to really win at doing that, to, to be successful. And so there's a little bit of a, like a mysterious recipe. Like it seems like we've tried to launch this um, in every aspect of the church's life. And some places it takes off and in some places it falls flat. And I, I keep finding myself in the center. So there's this enigma of like, all right, how do I get out of the center of this thing? Um, talk, I could talk about how res isn't Sean. It's on blue in the face. But then there's these practices, there's these things that actually end up happening. Emails still pile up, calls still come at me. People still catch me at the church and ask me questions, which is fine. But um, it, I keep seeing the, the symptoms that, nope, 
yes, the res, the res is not uh, Sean centric, but it's still functioning in some ways like it is. And so I've been stuck with the question like, well, how do I break that up? How do I really get this thing off the ground and into the hands of other very, very capable and called and gifted ministers in our church and leaders in our church? One temptation when wrestling with a big question like Sean is wrestling with is to reach for something new, some fix to help you go from undesired situation A to desired situation B. But often the point of being curious about places of tension is not to find a solution. And often the next faithful step does not look like injecting your congregation with something new. The next step often begins by paying attention, remembering what God is already percolating among you. One of the amazing kinds of themes and stories are a few of them that the, the lab helped us to re-remember is um, the way that Res has been able to navigate through and be resilient in hard transitions. Every church plant goes through these. Every church does. Um, but our church just has a story of um, not like crazy fallout, but just really hard decisions and impasses that have just caused some disruption in the church's life. There's been a sense of loss, that change. And um, the ways that we've been able to, we were remembering how even in those tough conversations, we were able to have a conversation and there wasn't this kind of antagonistic or really like manipulative kind of um, thing going on. It, there was hurt and there was pain, um, but we somehow as a parish, were just really intentional about staying together and having the hard conversations and being patient and waiting and um, not needing to defend ourselves or or um, or others really, but just trying to like, here's what's on my mind. Here's what really hurts. This is what I'm concerned about. And then people going, I hear that. That's tough. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I have an answer for you, but I'm here. I'm going to stay here. So we've had some moments like that that we remembered like, oh yeah, moving forward, if we run into tough situations again, we can continue to expect that when we take that posture with one another, that the Lord will be present to this, to the, to this and, um, and, and do the same thing again and again. We can expect that kind of reconciliation and, and strength as a community that comes a result moving forward. Another thing that was really, really uh, impactful to me was hearing the way that my leaders would describe Reza's culture and its uniqueness and its just kind of own weirdness. Um, there's a few things there. One, we like to have um, parties out in public and those parties are kind of weird. So we'll do like pub parties where we bless the beer and we, it's epiphany. And so it's the beginning of the year, we're blessing beer and blessing people and singing hymns in our, in our community pub. We have this, uh, our community pub in Austin that everybody, you'll just, we just run into each other there. And so we have these huge parties there. We'll bless animals and the feast of St. Francis. We do, we do ashes to go on Ash Wednesday. There's all these kinds of things in our tradition that usually are in the, there's a parties held within the church, but we've kind of held them in the neighborhood as a way of extending that welcome in and that invite and connected to that story. Like, oh yeah, we party in public pretty well. Like it's pretty fun and we love it. And our neighbors seem to really feel welcome to join us and they love it too. It's kind of weird and cool. Um, and connected to that story is also always this draw back to the table that these celebrations in the neighborhood have a direction, a movement, like a 
kind of they're leading somewhere and that's never like a bait and switch it's kind of like um yeah god is inviting us to his table he's welcoming us into his life through his son and by his spirit this is happening in really concrete ways uh for us as anglicans in the sacraments so around our baptismal tank or our altar where we celebrate holy eucharist um our church knows that even though we extend ourselves out in the neighborhood in our small group life we call them table groups um because we're actually expressing these are extensions of this life of God around this table. And even our pub parties, um, they have this quality and character to them that point back to this table. So we're just, we've become a, a people whose culture is around the table and that table is radically hospitable. And you get to see that permeate through everything else that we do. So just like hearing our own people say these stories and go, you remember how, I think this is us guys. Like this is who God has made us to be. And you can sense the kind of collective energy and excitement in just recalling like, Oh yeah, I love that. This is, that is us. That is what God has made us to be. Y'all let's celebrate this. This is like, this is a gift. How cool. And so it's just this re-energizing about it. And for Seth to say, um, in, in instances where we might assume like, that's pretty normal, right. To Seth go to say, actually, that is unique, y'all. For as, as someone looking in from the outside, that's something. That's something really. You should pay attention to that. I think God's doing something in this community with that. For, for, for just to hear that reflection by someone who was kind of just outside of our shared community's history and experience was really affirming and just like, yeah, okay, this is a thing. And, uh, and these aren't just sweet memories. These now become the, 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 the way we position our feet as a community in this neighborhood, knowing what God has done with this like renewed strength and hope, like that maybe God is going to keep doing this. Yeah, I think he will. So we, we just get super excited about it and, and love that this is the, yeah, this is the way that God has made our strange little community and we, and we love it. So as a result, kind of an outworking of this discovery process, we've been kicking around um, experiments, like how can we codify? How can we kind of commit to some new practices or even um, dust off old practices and go, no, 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 no. There's something here that we really need to not overlook. This is like really good stuff. Um, and, 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 and really um, the, the posture thinking about the practices aren't really about the practices, but, but they're tied to this moment of recollection in our leadership community going, remember that this is what God's done. Remember, this is how we gather in the neighborhood. Remember, this is how we party. Remember how we are around the table. Um, and so with that in the forefront of our minds going, oh yeah, this is who we are. God's doing something in this about us. Um, we then go, okay, so what are the practices that bring that out even more, that open up space for that to kind of emerge? And some of those, we're still trying to work that out. So there's kind of a posture, like we don't need to actually name and commit to practices that we're going to institute for the next 30 years in our church. But it's like, I don't know, what if we tried this for a couple months and, and see what happens? So there's this kind of quality of experimentation that's... Um, Hold on just a second. Yeah. Come in. Twice, three times, maybe now. All right. Continue, sir. Um, You're talking about... Yeah, practices. So, experiments. so there's this posture of experimentation that we can try something and it, and it may be, that's not the silver bullet, you know, like we're not looking for silver bullets. We're just actually kind of experimenting with how we can 
practice regularly opening up space for this thing to keep happening in our church's life. So some of the ways, some of the ways that we're thinking about this is honestly, in just the practice of remembering, we're realizing that's a thing. It's so easy for us to forget where we've come from and what God's done. What would it look like then to, as an example, in our leadership meetings, we take time every time to discern what God's done recently and to tell those stories and then to ask, what does that say about what God's doing with us? So just honestly, even the the labs kind of methodology, the, the thing that it went through with us, we're realizing, ooh, that's like a really, <laughs> that's a really life-giving practice. We should, sorry, that's my dog. We should spend more time intentionally making that kind of space to remember, especially in those leadership community gatherings. Um, there's other instances where we realize that some of the, the, the storytelling and the interaction of the people um, in kind of the low key, where they call us a low key high church. They, people have said this about us, we're a low key high church. There's something about our, the low key kind of quality in our liturgy. We've kicked around ideas like, what if we, in a sermon um, every once in a while, actually sent people to, to gather with like three or four people around them and just talk about this. Like, how's this working out in your life? And remembering if this is the truth about who God is, then uh, like discern that truth in the, in the space of your own life for 10 minutes with a few other people around you. That's, we were like, well, that might be interesting. I don't know. Just kind of disrupt the flow of, of us just kind of uh, hearing a good word um, or a challenging sermon, but actually going through that process of discernment with others. Um, and we've all, we've had some, a few other ideas about um, the ways that in our church's own story, um, some of the impromptu, unprogrammed ministry that just came right at the right time for so many people. There's a storyline here that I didn't share about the things that God had prompted some of our folks to do, to reach out and do and take risks in doing. That was such an answer to prayer to someone, like really amazing ministry. We were wondering, how do we, how do we encourage that? How do we make that more of a possibility again and again. Um, and so we're kicking around ideas about um, uh, either prayer or kind of a, a daily examine just to, in our leaders and in our, as a basic ministry pro- posture to make intentional space for, um, this sounds really not profound, but honestly, that prayer and listening and discernment, like God, no, I don't want to just make a bunch of calls about volunteer opportunities. Can you put somebody on my heart that like, I'm listening. Is there somebody I, I could reach out to? Um, again, maybe this is just new to us or like profound us, but to me, I'm like, I just need to be reminded that the spirit works that way and I can pause to listen. And it may be someone that I haven't talked to in a long time. Maybe a weird just to reach out to them, or maybe someone I just talked to about something else. Either way, um, being receptive to the movement of the spirit and being open to that. That's what God's done in the past in our life as a church anyways. So why don't we keep doing that? So even basic leadership practices of prayer and discernment like that are some of the things we're starting to experiment with. Hey, thanks for listening to the Field Notes podcast brought to you by the Telos Lab for Congregational Discovery. And special thanks to Sean for sharing how the Spirit is working in his context. The Field Notes podcast offers a behind-the-scenes glimpse into the kind of work we do at the Telos Lab for Congregational Discovery. The lab partners with you in your ministry context, digs into the details and nuances of your context, and helps you discern new transformative practices 
that help your community participate in what God is already doing. If you'd like to learn more, check out the link to our website in your show notes, or you can reach out to me directly. My contact information is there. I would love to hear from you. Peace. No, I was just asking because I have nothing going on on my side here. You're good. Okay. Just don't mess up. Okay.